Welcome back to another Wally Wall Rific Tastic episode of Fanholes Toku Thursdays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts for tonight, and I am not alone. I am joined tonight by one of my fellow Tokusatsu enthusiasts. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin. So tonight, me and Justin are going to be talking about a film that has a pretty special place in my heart, as it were. This is a film that, when it was released in the U.S., went by the title The Great Yokai War from 2005, or the Japanese title Yokai Daisenso. And it was directed by Takashi Miki, who you may or may not be familiar with. I know I've I've seen some of his films like Ichi the Killer and Audition, and then I was kind of thinking in the back of my head, maybe we should do another Toku Thursdays on his Ultraman Max episodes. But yeah, that that's kind of where my familiarity with the director would lay. I've seen his Blade of the Immortal movie, and it is really great. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? Speaking of Mike's, like I know you buy Blu-rays, and and but I don't have time to watch all them Blu-rays. I'm like. I'm pretty sure I bought that Blade of Immortal Blu-ray, but I don't think I've actually sat down and watched it. So, so I, there you go. I think it was one of my awesome things of the week, like, years ago. Yeah, That's yeah. Probably, I was like, that's a great, Derek. You should buy it, or you're a duty head. So, so I bought it, so I'm not a duty head. I just need to actually, like, sit down and watch it. So because we've been talking about, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, fairly recently, we've been talking about yokai because we, we had a big in Japan episode about Gegege no Kitaro. And one of the things I mentioned on that episode was, hey, Justin, have you seen The Great Yokai War? And, you know, Justin, your response was? I had not. Yeah, so I was like, we have to rectify this immediately. <laughs> so so that was one of those things I thought, hey, we should, we should talk about this. This will be a fun topic to discuss on Toku Thursdays. And so basically I sort of, uh, I, I kind of cobbled together bits and pieces of synopses from IMDb, uh, Wikipedia, God help me, 
and a pretty decent one from Sci-Fi Japan that was written by a gentleman named Keith Aiken. So I'm going to try to go through that pretty quickly so you get the basic idea of what the film's about, and then me and Justin are going to discuss specifics. But like I said, The Great Yokai War, 2005 film from director Takashi Miki. At a 10,000-foot level, even though he's probably not listening, shout out to Shag Matthews, a young boy is chosen as the defender of good and must team up with Japan's ancient spirits and creatures of lore to destroy the forces of evil. And as to a more in-depth synopsis, times are tough for 10-year-old Tadashi Ino. After his parents' divorce, Tadashi and his mother Yoko leave Tokyo and move in with his senile grandfather Shunta who lives in a rural fishing village in the Totori Prefecture. Having been raised in the city, Tadashi is not as physically fit as his new classmates, so they constantly taunt and tease him. One night, Tadashi wanders into a local shrine festival and is knocked on the head by a man in a traditional dragon costume. One of his classmates explains that he has been chosen as the next Kirin Rider, the defender of justice and peace in times of darkness. According to legend, the Kirin Rider must climb the nearby Goblin Mountain and claim the legendary sword guarded by a spirit called the Great Goblin. Remembering the bullies at school calling him a crybaby, Tadashi is determined to climb the mountain and fulfill the prophecy. But soon he grows scared, turns back, and boards a bus heading towards town. As he rides home, he suddenly realizes there are scores of strange creatures staring at him through the bus windows. Tadashi screams in terror as the specters fade away before his eyes. The boy is startled by Sune Kosuri, a cat-like sprite that only he can see. The tiny creature has a damaged leg, so Tadashi brings Sune Kosuri home with him to nurse it back to health. Checking a reference book, he learns that Sune Kosuri is one of the yokai from Japanese folklore. Meanwhile, children begin to disappear across Japan, and terrifying mechanical monsters launch a series of attacks against human beings. This is the handiwork of an evil being named Lord Kato, who has used power to reawaken the giant raging spirit Yomo Sumono. With the assistance of his lover, Agi, Kato merges the souls of captured yokai with trash and discarded mechanical items to create an army of monsters called Kikai. The anger and sadness of the yokai and human victims add to Lord Kato's power, and soon he will merge with Agi and Yomo Sumoto into a being that will become absolute ruler of the earth. Scared by the tales told of the mountain, Tadashi falters upon his arrival at the mountain and tries to flee. However, the sea spirit Shoujo, who handpicked Tadashi as the Kirin Rider, tricks Tadashi into believing his grandfather is in danger. Thus, Tadashi manages to overcome a test to prove his worth. Accompanied by Shoujo, Kawahime, and Kawataro, Tadashi makes his way to the Daitengu, who gives him the sword before being taken away by the Kikai. In spite of Tadashi's attempts, the sword is broken as Agi takes Sunokasuri as her captive before the boy is knocked unconscious. When Tadashi comes to his senses, he finds himself among yokai as they discuss how to fix the sword. They ultimately decide to request the aid of the blacksmith Ipan Datara. 
Upon learning that Ipondatara was also captured, most of the yokai disperse. When Kato's industrial fortress takes flight towards Tokyo, Tadashi and his allies pursue and upon arrival find Ipondatara, who reforges the sword. Ipondatara weeps by the fire, but never reveals how he escaped, saddened that Suno Kasuri took his place in the fire pits. Donning new attire, Tadashi and company go into battle. They are pretty much outnumbered until they receive unlikely aid from thousands of yokai, I guess millions actually, who believe they are coming to a party. The festival brawl with the Kakai allows Tadashi and Kawahime to enter the fortress safely, followed by a yokai-obsessed reporter named Sada that Kawahime saved in the past. In a tragic twist, Tadashi is forced to slay the Kakai that Tsunokasuri became, now restored to his original form, yet gravely injured. In a rage, Tadashi battles Agi before she is called back by Kato to begin the final phase to join with Yomo Sumono. Despite Tadashi's best effort, Kato outmatches him at every turn. Kawahime attempts to protect the boy, and when Kato asks her to join him, she declares she has no desire for revenge because that would make her human. Unfazed, Kato knocks the two down as Azukikarai, the bean counter, awkwardly arrives. Kato calls Agi to join him, but impales her on his sword. Kato wants to turn her love for him into hate before entering the oven to become one with Yomo Sumono. However, due to Sada's overreaction to seeing Kawahime, one of Azukurikai's Azuki beans ends up in the mix with Kato, causing a chain reaction of positive emotion that destroys Yomo Sumono. After the yokai take their leave, Tadashi and Sada find themselves on the street and the boy tells his first white lie to the reporter about Kawahime being glad to see him again. Years later, Tadashi is a grown man who has lost the ability to see yokai, even the Sunokasuri. The film ends with the Sunokasuri being confronted by an Azuki-pupiled Kato. The end. So yeah, I, I know that's not too brief, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in this, and I figured I'd just try to kind of drill through it as soon as possible and you know i guess this kind of goes without saying but yeah we we've just kind of given a, a pretty grandiose synopsis so i'm, I'm kind of hoping people actually maybe watch this before they listen to the episode and stuff like that but so you 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 had never seen this before and like had you heard of it before at all like like were you familiar like because I, I know we talked a little bit about this on the Big in Japan with Gegege no Kitaro, but like, were you only f familiar with these kind of archetypical Japanese folklore spirits from like manga and anime, or had you ever seen any kind of yokai related movies before? I I had never even heard of this movie. Like, I didn't know this existed until you mentioned it. And like I said on that episode of Big in Japan, like I was googling it and looking it up like while we were discussing it. I was just like, how how have I never heard of this? And you know, it's funny, like, unfortunately, Mike couldn't join us because, like, he was watching the movie. He got, like, 20 minutes into it, and it crashed his computer, and he was like, oh, you know, like, this does seem like something Justin would pick. And I was like, oh, no, I never watched this. And he's like, like, Derek picked this. And he's like, oh, oh, wow, wow. But, yeah, like, you know, kind of like I said on that Big in Japan episode, like, I'm familiar with some yokai, like the Kappa specifically, and, and then a few others. And, you know, something I thought was interesting is – on that big in Japan where we discuss Gegeke no Kitaro, like 
I don't think I mentioned it, but I watched the first 26 episodes. The next 10 episodes, like, I didn't watch because I didn't think I, I would have time to watch them. But those 10 episodes were called, like, the Great Yokai War. And in Gegege no Kitrail, this is an event that happens in, I think, just about all of the anime series. Like, the Great Yokai War, it, as far as, like, Gegege no Kitrail is concerned, it's usually an event where Western yokai, like Dracula... Frankenstein, the Wolfman, like they'll come over to Japan and fight all the Japanese yokai. And that's usually treated as like this big event because, you know, you've got like Kitro fighting Dracula and it's pretty awesome. They kind of changed it up in the 2018 series. But anyway, what I thought was interesting is there were some yokai that show up in those episodes and they're also in this movie, like the, the bean washer guy, like in, in an episode, it's like there were three yokai and they're all obsessed with washing these Azuki beans. And they kind of get tricked by Ratman into like becoming pop stars in this weird way to like, you know, for him to make money and for them to like try and get Azuki beans more popular and something like it's it's really wacky. But like, you know, if I if I hadn't watched that episode, I probably would have been like, what's the deal with this bean washer guy? And then there and then there was another episode where it dealt with uh, Yuki Ona, you know, the snow woman where like she's in this movie like very briefly but in that in, in that episode like basically it's winter time you know cat girl and mana are kind of chatting with her and it's like you know there's this guy who's all in love with her because she's beautiful and she's like oh i don't know how to feel about this because i'm a yokai and i've never been in love and you know blah 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 and, and you know wackiness ensues but i just thought it was interesting like i if i if i hadn't you know kept watching the you know, Kitro, I probably would have been like, what's the deal with this snow woman? And like, what's the deal with this bean washer? Like, what? why is he so like crazy about like counting beans and washing his beans? But I, I understand that a little bit more thanks to, thanks to Gegegeno Kitro. Yeah, it's interesting because what I didn't notice when, you know, I, I, the, the reason why this, this movie holds a special place in my heart is because I always tell the stories about, how I used to go to the Egyptian theater on Hollywood Boulevard and watch all these cool movies. And, you know, some of those movies often that, that lured me to, to watch were like premieres of properties that I was pretty familiar with, but I actually got to watch theatrically, like say Godzilla final wars or Gamera the brave. And, and this was in a double feature the Great Yokai War was in a double feature with Gamera the Brave. And and part of that that like there's this one sequence where you see the um Yomo Simono, like, you know, it, it's this gigantic like turtle city scape like monstrous thing that's like ginormous. And the as it's flying over like Tokyo and all these prefectures and everything, you see these kind of two homeless guys or whatever, and they're checking it out. And the one guy kind of goes, ah, don't worry about it. It's only Gamera. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and that got an enormous laugh in the theater I was in. Cause all of us dumb motherfuckers were in there to see Gamera the brave. And what I, what I commonly <laughs> say is the, the movie that I was usually there to see is not nearly as good as the double feature it was paired with. So like Gamera the brave was, a little disappointing let's say and and yeah. this this yeah. was fucking awesome so of course it always stood out to me you know godzilla final wars was cool but that the movie that really spoke to me was ultraman the next you know like that kind of kicked off a whole like 
resurgence in my Ultraman fandom, pretty much, like along with Ultraman Nexus, right? So, so there, there's there's that aspect to it where I have lots of fond memories of of going to the Egyptian theater and everything, and and that's why this stood out in my mind. I I when this came out on DVD, probably like maybe you know not even a year later you know, from Media Blasters, I, I got the special edition, it's got a making of and all kinds of cool stuff on the, the second disc, and and it was something that I, I watched, you know, more than once. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I watched this a whole bunch, because honestly, it's been so long since I watched this, I had new, I don't know, a new vantage point on it as well, because when when I saw this in the theater and when I watched it on DVD, before I knew what Gay 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 No Kataro was, like now that you you've had me watch some of those episodes and everything and I'm a little more familiar with it like I get to see when he goes to that one town and there's like all the little bronze statues and they they, yeah. they actually go to where the 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 manga creator and you see like this whole museum dedicated to to yokai spirits and all that other stuff and and that was something that totally went over my head on initial viewings but like uh, you know according to the you know the creators of this a lot of the yokai in this are are definitely influenced by you know the manga and and anime and all that kind of stuff and and to me it's like i i'm willing to bet you know it's funny because i couldn't think of it at the time but even though i mentioned it but you know at the time i was like oh i know what a kappa monster is i'm 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 willing to bet this is this movie is why i know what a Kappa monster is. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I think this was yeah. my, this was my Avengers end game. Like imagine if I knew nothing about Marvel movies and then I just sat down and watched Avengers end game. Like the great yokai war was my crash course, like into understanding like this Japanese folklore and everything. And I, I mean, I, I do still really think it's a fantastic movie. I mean, I know one of the things that probably, enticed and and one of my selling points i think to the movie was i was kind of like hey you know uh go go from kill bill is in this movie you know and 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 so it's like you've got uh it's it's chiaki kuriyama right like that's that's who plays the augie which is like the the, the bird lady or whatever right like and 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 so some of the stuff that i, I mean besides kill bill like i mean she, she was in battle royale and uh she was in one of my favorite movies um which is azumi 2 death or love like it's one of those weird things like i like the sequel better than than the first one i don't know if that i don't know what people's feelings are about that i don't even know if there's any fandom on that like i mean i assume there must be some fandom for that property uh azumi but i i have no idea if people prefer the first one or the second one i just know i really prefer the second movie and she's in that as well so like that i mean i i figured you know you you had expressed admiration and appreciation for her in the past so i figured that would be a good selling point as far as you know enticing you to check out the movie so like what did you uh, i mean do you, you have any thoughts on on her performance how she's portrayed how i i, I to me i'm kind of like there's kind of some some uh, outfits that definitely have some some fan service going on and stuff like that yeah well she has several costumes and there's like there's one that's kind of like peach colored and it is extremely short and i'm just like oh okay derek said i'd like this movie and i kind of already liked it <laughs> Yeah, I thought uh, I thought she was pretty good. I mean, I've only seen her in Kill Bill. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. So I guess I'm kind of used to seeing her as like very 
stern mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like controlled, you know, never mind being, I guess, evil or at least a antagonist, but she she's very good at being stern and cold and a bit, I don't know, menacing, I guess would be a good word because whenever she shows up in this film, it's like, okay, you better watch out because she's going to make her hair into some kind of like whip that can just cut a sword in half. So you need, you need to pay attention because she's not just a, you know, uh, pretty face yeah she's she's quite i mean i i i almost think she's almost typecast as like an evil bitch like she's she's mm-hmm. she's she's always very masochistic in in most any mm-hmm. film i see her in and this is you know this is no exception and what's funny is i mean you know she's clearly a cutie and everything and and if you watch like you know some of the outtakes and everything it's funny how like she's she's kind of like a a cute girl where she's like oh they they asked me like which outfit I wanted to use and I joked that I wanted to wear all of them so they let me wear all of them you know it's like and it's like she's you know she's like she's she's an actress she's a giggly girl she likes attention yeah. she, her favorite was like it's funny like she said you know before anybody you could send your angry email to fanholspodcast@gmail.com about all our uh, you know male oppressiveness but before you do that just be aware in the uh, in the behind the scenes like the making of and everything the actress herself said her favorite outfit was the one that had the really really short skirt so like she liked Mm. wearing that outfit so apparently you know and i I guess this might be worth going into like like there's something about this film that's like it 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 touches like things that are incredibly innocent like i've seen reviewers compare this to the never-ending story but then there's also stuff about this where you know it's like if you're if you're 12 or 13, like, and, and some of the interactions that go down between, you know, Kawahime and, and, and Augie and, and even the, the neck lady and all this other stuff, like, you're, you're, you're likely to feel something a little funny in your pants, too, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it reminded me of, like, when I got introduced to the live action cutie honey, and I was just kind of like, damn, there's some really, like, like, I mean, I think with that, it's a little more explicit, you know, the the sexualized nature of the characters and all that other stuff. And with this, I find it kind of interesting because it's like it's like there's aspects of of a, a children's folklore, and and it's it's the barest. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's explicit. I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's that in your face, but it's like one of these things where every once in a while, you know, there's a little upskirt shot or, or the fact that everyone in, um, everyone that gets rescued, um, by Kawahime, like they all end up in her lap, you know, and it's, it's, and they all like grope her. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's this very sensual like mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's I I it, it's not even a violation, but it's like th- th- there's a sense of oh, it's okay to breach this personal space. Like there's there's something very intimate about it, and it's not it, it it's not anything that is uh, I don't know tawdry or 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 unkempt or anything. But at the same time, it it like it really skirts that line of like I mean, because the the girl who plays Kawahime, like she's beautiful. Like, I mean, and it, it's just like one of those things where I remember looking at that and just kind of going, yeah, th- there's something that's like just, and it's, it's really funny too, because it's like, she's got kind of the, the green ears and the, the, the green, like, uh, you know, scale, she's, Hands yeah, she's feet. the river princess. So she's got a very kind of, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, uh, uh, amphibious look to her, like on the hands and the the feet and everything. But at the same time, it's like it's like it's like she's a Japanese mermaid, you know. Like like there's some stuff where it's like <laughs> you you know you wouldn't you know stick your dick in a fish, but a mermaid is attractive, right? Like, and it's the same thing with this. It's like it's like would you really want her to give you a hand job? Probably not, but. She's extremely beautiful, and it's like one of these things where you're like sitting there going like, like this is, to me, I, I mean, it's just one of those things where I find fascinating because it's, it's like it's, it's skirting that line where it's like it, it's, it's just enough to be titillating and sensual, but not so far that it turns into something that is, um, uh, like gross or gratuitous, I guess, if if that makes any sense. Uh huh. I'm glad you went down this rabbit hole a little bit because I was going to point out this actress. Her name is Seiko Iwado, and I know her from a film called Strange Circus. And I've mentioned this film, I think, once on the podcast before, but Strange Circus is a very – I don't know how to describe it. It's bizarre. Like You know how you're talking about like this film has some elements that are – not tawdry what strange circus is extremely like sexual and tawdry and exploitive and it's very uncomfortable and it's such a crazy off-the-wall film that i just couldn't stop watching it i mean like you should watch it sometime just to like see what i'm talking about because it's 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 bonkers crazy it's extreme and over the top but anyway as far as like the you know the situations with Kawahime and, and you know there's a scene where Tadashi gets licked repeatedly by the snake oh, yeah, 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 like yeah. I was like at the very beginning there's some narration where Tadashi says you know like this is the you know the first time I fell in love and then like he was kind of moving his hand slowly down her thigh I was like okay well he's you know this is the part I think like the big theme of this movie or at least one of them is you know growing up because at the end you know he talks about like you know, I told a white lie, and a white lie is, you know, something you tell for the sake of someone else, and that's like the first step in becoming an adult. And there's dialogue earlier in the film about, you know, adults typically can't see yokai yeah. because they're, you know, so I kind of take that all into like that's that's the larger narrative, like this. Okay, you can see it as okay, Tadashi is going on this huge adventure, and he's got to save the world and his friends, and blah blah blah. But it's also about he's in these you know, situations where he's being licked and he's kind of developing feelings for Kawahime. And it just kind of adds to this whole, you know, larger notion that this is, this is more than just a, you know, adventure. Like he's taking his first like baby steps into uh, adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, it, it, it has all the, the aspects of uh kind of superhero epic, like, romp like endgame or something like that but then it it's layered with a coming of age story it's like it's like if you if uh-huh. it's like if you took like i don't know like the the world according to garp and like scrunched it into avengers <laughs> endgame or something you know like like yeah. like it's, it, it, it has those weird moments where you're like oh this is kind of funny like this is kind of weird but like they're they're experiencing things that that you know are are you know, first time discoveries for a young man, you know, becoming uh, an adult and everything. And so I, you know, yeah, I mean, that aspect of it is, is fairly interesting. I guess, speaking of Tadashi and Tadashi coming of age, like, 
the the one thing I was curious about was I was like, I bet you this kid because they they tell this story about the director's like he he introduces him to the guy who plays um who plays uh Sojo right and 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 the director tells this funny story where the 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 kid introduces himself and he's kind of like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, Reno Suke Kamiki and I'm the lead in this production. And, and then the director's kind of like, what, do you want to start a fight with him? Like, like, cause it's like this other guy's supposedly this, you know, you know, well-respected actor and everything, you know, and he's kind of like, and of course that guy took it as like, oh, he's cute. He's a cute kid. He's the lead. Like, you know, and then part of me is kind of like sitting there going, well, he is the fucking lead. He might as well fucking say he's the fucking lead. He's not lying. I mean, he is the fucking lead. Fuck you guys and your fucking pretentious bullshit about honorifics and all this shit. He is the lead. Like, he has every right to say, I'm this, this is my name. I'm the fucking lead. Like, what? what's your problem? But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a cultural thing. I get it. Like, like that makes sense to me. But I guess having uh, listened to that story they told in the, the, the making of and everything, I went, you know what? I, he's probably done a bunch more stuff after this. And, you know, there's probably a bunch of anime that, like, you've seen that you'd be familiar with because he's done a lot of voice work. But then the thing that, that I keyed in on is, remember, like, the Roroni Kenshin live-action stuff? He was in Kyoto Inferno. He was he was Sojiro, like, the hoppy foot guy, the sword guy that, that Ken gets into the fight with and everything. I don't know if you. I I looked him I looked him up. I haven't. I've only seen the first live action. Oh, okay. Film. So he's in he's in he's in the, the second one. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me is he plays a little boy on Common Rider Agito. Ah, okay. It's it. His character is really hard to describe. Basically, he plays this kind of like I mean he's not even really a kid, but basically he's like this entity that's very interested in good and evil. And he does a lot of very evil things just to see what will happen. And he also does some good things. So he, I mean, he's pretty good in that. Just, you know, being a little kid and kind of being, I don't know, like a, like a possessed little kid. that's like pulling wings off a flight just to see what will happen. Like he was very good at that. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, you know, you, you can, you can chime in with your own thoughts, but I mean, I, I thought he was, he was really good in this. I don't think this movie would have worked if, if, he was not any good, you yeah. know, like, I mean, the, this movie really does revolve around, I mean, the, the director talks about how, you know, he was kind of a kid, like a child when he showed up to the set, but as he was growing up during the, the, you know, I don't know, whatever it was, you know, the eight month shooting schedule or whatever, by the time you got to the end of that period, you know, he was, you know, more mature and 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 he even has this like little snide comment where he's like even de niro couldn't do that you know like like we 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 captured this right like we captured his growth from from you know uh you know being a child to being more mature than he was at the start of that and and you you know he, he explained how he filmed a lot of this in sequential order you know hmm. so whereas you know when when you you know, when you shot the scenes of him, you know, first in the prefecture and on the bus and all that, he was still kind of a little childish, right? And and by the time they got to the point where he, he picks up the, the broken sword and is like, I'm going to go save, you know, Shino Kasuri, you know, and he's got a bunch of tattered clothes and, and all this, like, soot on his face and everything, and he's all determined, well, he, he was a much different lad by that point, right? So, so and, and that's something that you can't exactly... I mean, 
you, you can, you know, you, you can act, right? You, this is all pretend and everything. Somebody could, you know, uh, portray that. But, but I think his notion was he managed to, so, you know, some of the trick in, I, I think they always used to say, like, it, it's kind of like the trick of theater is recapturing a moment over and over and over again every night you perform it. And the trick of film is just, capturing that moment just the one time on film and and doing it until you capture that one moment you know and it's like this this instance of him growing up and becoming more mature that's just that's just the natural happenstance of shooting the film the way the director planned to shoot it right like like it it was somewhat planned but also just using an existing circumstance to facilitate the narrative of his film and i think it worked out pretty beautifully so what what i really like about the character and the actor as well is he's not an annoying kenny like he's never he's never irritating he's never like snarky and cracking jokes like at the very beginning he's just this very you know like a normal kid he's moved from the city to the country and there are these four kids that he seems to kind of hang out with but they're always picking fun at him and you know, he just kind of, he just kind of like scrunches himself up and kind of takes it. Like he doesn't fight back, and they're not very, you know, they're they're not harsh in their bullying and bullying of him. And then as the the movie unfolds, like I feel like if you had like a different actor or someone, like they would want to maybe be, I don't know, snarky and crack some jokes. Like that's what you would expect from like an American film. Like it, like if this is like. I don't know, Warriors of Virtue or something. Like, you probably have, like, some Macaulay Culkin, like, cracking jokes while he's fighting a monster or something. Like, he, you know, he he doesn't crack any jokes or anything. Like, he's just a a normal kid who's caught up in all these, like, wacky situations, and he just kind of has to, you know, go with it. You know, like, he he knows what he has to do, and he does it. He doesn't whine or complain or or anything, and that's—I really like that. This this may lead into to a a more polarizing comment on behalf of yours truly, but the the what you made me think of was you you talked about the bullying in the movie, and it, what what made me stop and take pause was there's this great scene where the the teacher comes back and sees the bullying, mm-hmm. and then she grabs the binder and like swats yeah. the two bullies straight in the head, and they're like baka baka <laughs> like go like stop fucking you know messing around with him. He didn't do anything to you. Go fuck off. And like the first thought I had was yeah, it makes me think of all the friends I have podcasting world or otherwise were teachers that would tell me immediately if they did that they would get sued there there'd be all these consequences if they did something like that and then you know for me the the comment that'll be polarizing is that's that's why nobody shoots anybody to death school because you know like there's it's like dude like somebody actually like stood up to this fucking nonsense and tells these two fucking stupid shits to knock it the fuck off you know like and it's like to me, like that's uh, I don't know, like like that's kind of interesting because I I I feel like that that's something that had occurred to me, you know, long long ago before I ever saw this movie, before any of this shit went down. It's like you know somebody's got to like actually like say hey knock this shit off. But of course you you know we're we're in this kind of world where everybody sues everybody and everybody there's all these consequences to actually enacting some kind of you know discipline or whatever in that instance and 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 like you said he's not a kenny he doesn't 
I mean, he fucks up. Yeah. Right? But, but I mean, it's part of the natural part of the story. And also, I think you feel like it's a it's like he's a relatable fuck yeah you know like like where where when shit goes wrong you're like oh man like what the fuck why'd you let go of the sword like that but but it's not like but it's not like you blame him it's like you you could see like oh shit you know what i could have fucking let go of the sword like that at some point and been a fuck up too right like and it's like that's i i think one of the more uh relatable aspects of the film it, it's like it's like you're you you you're like oh man damn like i wish that hadn't happened but you know there's moments in your life where you know you're you're not the man you know and it's like occasionally like you fucking fuck up and you're like oh fuck i wish i hadn't have done that you know and and so like that's you know again that that's probably a a, a moment of of going from being a child to having more maturity and being an adult, like not only is it, you know, telling a white lie, but it's like, you know, fucking shit up is, is part of, you know, growing older and, and, and becoming more adult. Like the, the, you know, you're, you're not an adult until you fucked up like multiple times. Right. So there's, there's that aspect to this story as well. I guess something else we can talk about is, uh, Sune Kasuri, like, I mean, conceivably, that could have been another character where people could have easily, you know, I mean, that could have been the the blarp of this movie or something <laughs> like that, you know, like something that some something that somebody would hate, you yeah, know, like yeah. a, a CG. I mean, this is this is part CG, part puppet. It's it's the cute Ewok, but but I guess if you if you imagine the cute Ewok becomes Darth Vader in the middle of mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. like 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 there's there's the, you know that that's something that I think that probably i mean i don't know depending on who's making the film and everything i don't want to make a blanket statement but i mean i would imagine in a hollywood type movie with all these you know larry executives i don't think you'd get away with making et turn evil or or not necessarily evil but you know corrupted or something you you, you couldn't get away with with blarp getting morphed into you know, the Terminator by the end of the film, right? But, but Sune Kasuri, like, like, unfortunately, it's like, it's like he's, he's got spunk. He, 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 you know, it's like he's cute, but kind of disheveled and, and kind of hideous at some points. But, but he's, he's a cute little animal. It's got that built in, like, a, attraction for, like, a, a child folklore type thing. I mean, they describe this yokai as being cat like. You know, and it's not quite a cat. There's there's a lot of fluids that are going on when he gets wounded. There's a lot of fluids when I mean, th- this is a guy that that pulls the Bayformers piss thing, but manages to pull it off, yeah, right? Like yeah. he gets in the middle of a fight with one of those uh, Kikai, you know, one of those Robo monsters. He pisses all over it and then screws up the the uh, circuitry and all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, you know, he he can't get away from that situation. So this this cute you know, Ewok child friendly character gets captured and ultimately there's scenes where Augie is like straight up beating the shit out of it and says, I'm going to make you ugly. I mean, it, it's like, it's like the, imagine the Ewok is Jared Leto in fight club. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's like, I'm going to fucking beat you. So you're fucking hideous, you know? And, and then she throws him into the, the oven. And, and at that point, you know, it, again like all the other poor yokai that go that route like they become a, a kikai monster and at some point you know uh tadashi doesn't even realize he's fighting his 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 child friendly 
cute friend from this movie. You know, it's like until they see the little the little bandage that he gave earlier in the film, like they, they don't even realize that. And and then they don't back away from that either. I mean, you know, in, in a, in a, you know, happy go lucky Hollywood movie at some point, you know, you, you'd think like I, my thought was if Mike did watch this, they'd bring up, you know, the, the moment where he cries and it restores him to the original form being like a Pokemon type thing mm-hmm. where it's like, we're all going to cry on, on Ash and, 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 and make him get better and all this stuff. But in this case, it's like that, I mean, it it restores him to his original form, but it doesn't change the fact that he's dead. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't shy away from that. And that that's again another thing, another aspect that changes you from being a child to adult. You know, dealing with death. You know, like yeah. and 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 what what better than than using the the you know child friendly pet metaphor you know i mean this is obviously a yokai but but still i mean it's it's one of those things where if you have a little cat or you have a little dog and they're your best friend and all that other shit and then and then you know when they finally pass away i mean that's that's an aspect of growing up that that somebody has to deal with and in this case i mean it's 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 a lot more tragic because it's like your dog turns into uh the fucking terminator and then you have to like slice it up with a sword you know so that's not quite the same thing but the metaphor is there yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely abused in this film. It, it, I mean, for me, it, like, tugged in my heartstrings every time. Like, there there was a scene after the sword is broken where they put him in the microwave, and I was just like, oh, God, I don't want to – I don't want to see that. But thankfully, it just – it didn't go that far. They just, like, you know, took him away. And then, you know, uh, go, go, Kip, like – like there's that scene where he's like stuck in the bars of the prison yeah and she yeah. just keeps smacking him and i was just like i don't want to see any more of this like she's gonna break his little yeah, back it's, it, yeah it's hard to watch yeah, yeah. so I, I see that your avatar is the kappa like do you do you have thoughts on him because like uh, he one of my favorite lines in the movie is said by him it's like not long after the river princess has saved him and he you know taught as she is clinging to her the kappa says, "I make cute noises, cuddles me too." <laughs> yeah, 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 coo, coo, coo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a funny actor. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think, like I said, I think this this probably defined you know the kappa monster kappa, for yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like that that that's probably my first and 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 image that's burned into my brain as far as what a what a kappa monster is. And and he's a funny guy. And and again, like you know, I. I this is kind of a crash course. Like it doesn't really, it doesn't really hold your hand as far as that goes. You know, it just yeah. kind of puts you in the middle of the mix, and 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 you kind of have to figure it out as you go along. So clearly, at some point, I must have figured out later about you know the water on the the skull cap and and the cucumbers and all that other shit. You know, but but this is you know to me, I mean, it's it's like my thoughts on him is one like all these guys like they they had to do these lengthy ass makeup sessions you know like like i mean they, they they talked about how the guy playing the the kappa monster was in he, he they said something to the effect of oh he could watch like two movies during his makeup setup you know what i mean and and huh. so they apparently gave him a bunch of movies to watch while he was being done up for the the, the day shoot and everything and so he's like yeah during the shoot i must have watched like you know like uh 40 movies or whatever you know what i mean like like so it's like they they you know it just took like a long ass time to put on all that makeup and everything so i i have a tremendous amount of respect for that i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that that those guys had to sort of deal with and and that can't be easy to be as um 
expressive and and um, kind of uh, lively and articulated as he was underneath all that. Because you could even see in the making of, it's like when he talks for the interview in the making of, because clearly some of it must have been ADR'd, because when he talks in it, you can hear the impact it has on his nose. Like the the design and everything, like you can you it, it sounds like you know he's got a cold or something when he's being interviewed because it's like it's like the thing's over his nose and he's like, hey, I'm Decapa guy and I interviewed this and they made me watch twenty movies. But <laughs> a lot of the times when you when you listen to the movie itself, it, it sounds pretty clear and it sounds like it's coming out of his mouth and it sounds natural. And my my thought is, you know, I mean, my, you know. Given my experience, I'm I'm thinking a lot of that dialogue was probably ADR'd or cleaned up or, or whatever they had to do. But you know, th- again, it, it's you know, to me, I mean, I think it's a testament to to a lot of the actors involved that that that, that all that was portrayed so well. And and he's a funny guy. I mean, I mean, I, I like how yeah, initially he's kind of like you know, he's like, "What are you stupid? Like we're all Kappa. Like you know, <laughs> just because she's pretty, like she's a fucking Kappa too." And this little dude that you healed his leg, he's a fucking Kappa. So don't tell me like what he's like. He's like, "What is this discrimination? Like why are you why are you screaming at me? Like we're all the fucking same here. Like we're all a fucking Kappa. Like why are you screaming at me?" But yeah, I mean, he's he, he's you know, it's a funny character. I you know, I, I I love when he like howls when they they break his skull cap and everything, and he's in the middle of the fight, or 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 the moment where he he sees the bean counter stayed behind and doesn't realize it's because he like bruised his leg or something like that, and and they're just kind of like, and you stayed, and all you can do is count beans, and that's just <laughs> that's 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 just yeah. the, gets me right here, man. Like you know, like he, he, it's like all that stuff is 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 really solid and everything i mean that's that's some good stuff his um i don't know what you would call it like his snout or whatever like it kind of reminded me of like the makeup effects from planet of the apes a little bit oh yeah 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 and and then i was thinking about it you know what you were saying about like he had to watch like four movies or two movies when he was like getting his makeup on like this is this is a full body thing like this isn't michael dorn getting a thing glued to his forehead like this is oh, like yeah a, yeah this is like a doug jones like he's abe sapien full body makeup. yeah yeah i mean he's got the shell they, they yeah, paint the shell. his skin green he's got the he's got the little turtle things that are probably uh stickied onto his chest like the whole the whole nine yards yeah and he's got a wig and the whole thing yeah. another thing i thought was funny and it's like a direct reference to gay gay no kitro is when they're having like the yokai conference after they've been defeated and everything like everyone's starting to leave and i think it might have been the kappa who goes up to itamomen and he goes like hey what's wrong like you were always oh, so yeah, great yeah, yeah. at those comics with Keith yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 he was calling him out or like yeah. or like uh you know sorry i don't know the japanese name but when they go up to fucking wally wall and they're like oh, yeah. they're like they're like Hey, you know, he's like, I'm just a wall. I sympathize, <laughs> but there's not much I can do. You know, it's just like he's like, come on, even a wall can do something. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, can't do nothing. You know, so it's like that. That was all that stuff was like pretty fun stuff, and I, I think I have an extra layer of appreciation for it now since you exposed me to the Gegege no Kitaro. So, and speaking of that, like I was thinking of like when they go to that little. Uh, museum or whatever it was like it was like some girl was dressed up as like cash like it was like yeah. a 
almost like a Disneyland thing. Like, you know how they have people dressed up as, you know, Mickey Mouse or whatever. It's like, it's like it was literally the anime character as a, I, what, what do you call that exactly? I can't even think of the right term. Like, you know, that somebody's dressed in costume, but it's like a, I don't know. I don't know what the term is. It's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like me, like my face and I've got Mickey Mouse ears on. It's like, I'm wearing a head mask, like a full body yeah. suit. That's like, and that, that's what whoever was dressed up as, as Cat Chan was, was like, it was like a full body suit where the head was this ginormous piece or whatever. And like that, that kind of stuff was, was not lost on me this time. Like I knew, I, I, I recognized it now. I had some familiarity with it. Whereas I think, you know, probably, God, I'm old, like, you know, 14 years ago or whatever, when I saw this, I, I would have had no frame of reference for, for any of those moments, you know, like, not the specifics of them at any rate. Are there any other yokai, like, you know, like, like uh, you know, Grandma Sand or whatever her name is or, or <laughs> anybody else that show up in this that you, you want to, like, highlight or that stood out to you that you were particularly either impressed by the way they handled their design or just you were just like dude that's that's one of my favorites i'm glad they got a cameo or something like that i did think it was funny when she kept throwing sand on the reporter guy when he was drinking the beer i was like it's sand granny yeah yeah i i can't remember if they said his name i think he's a tingu you know the guy with like the green face and the wings oh yeah 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 you know, like uh, Go Go cuts his wings off with her hair whip or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. The the goblin guy who gives him the sword, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's a Tingu, and I mean, I mean, I know Tingu because they were like bad guys on Power Rangers, but we also watched an episode of Kitro where the Tingu like showed up and they had their own little village. I don't know. I was just, I, I think I was just impressed with the different number of yokai and the various methods which they were portrayed like a lot of these people were you know actual people but a lot of them were were cgi and i mean you'll probably understand what i'm saying but if you watch a lot of like japanese tokusatsu films whenever they do cgi like that can be kind of questionable because sometimes it's it can be pretty good or it can be really really bad and i was just glad that the cgi in this film was like pretty pretty acceptable from like from the time that it was made like you could tell they put some money into this film yeah i i think not only money but i i when i was looking at the behind the scenes one of the ladies that was the head of the cgi like she she made it clear like her goal is always to make it look like they didn't use cgi you know mm. like that was that was her her kind of raison d'etre i guess and and I think it comes across well. I mean, you know, and again, like we, we, we've discussed this before. I mean, there's some stuff where you just kind of accept like, okay, this is low budget TV CGI and a feature film, or it's mm -hmm. not meant to look realistic or anything like that. And, you know, I mean, th there's that part of me that's like, well, not a whole lot of this looks quote unquote realistic, but it looks well done. And, and, yeah. and, and, and again, it gets the point across and, and listening to them say how they spent a bunch of man hours on either making clouds or, or, or the listening to that. That's why I said, Oh, I said, you know, thousands of yokai and then corrected myself. Cause it's really millions. Like apparently in the script it said it was 1.2 million yokai in the middle of the war <laughs> where the blast goes off, but they actually cataloged all the elements. Like, like basically 
all the little digital elements that were on the screen at that moment and it was like 20 million so so the Jeez. cgi lady was like was like actually it's 20 million yokai so we like to laugh about that and say it's not 1.2 but it's 20 million because it was like something like 20 you know uh, you know, and, and some change or whatever uh, objects were, were on that screen at that moment where the basically like the big one goes off and everything. I And then the other thing I always find weird about that is I'm like, I'm like, OK, well, here you've got a culture with uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then you've got this end moment where it's like they're all doing the the Doctor Strange love yokai thing at the end where they're like all kind of going woohoo as they fucking <laughs> blast off or whatever. And, and, and me just thinking that's a. That that's an interesting dichotomy culturally to me, you know, yeah. like 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 just I you know I I have no idea on on how to even delve into the psychology of that, but but I mean I I recognize it as somewhat of a, a an interesting you know kind of tidbit or or notion or or, or like I don't know if if that's part of the transition, you know, is 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 finding humor in in horror an adult quality, you know, like, like that, that aspect. I don't know. I guess so. I mean, the Kappa has like his team rocket blasting off again moment, like there at the beginning, like he's the first one shot out of the blast. And I was like, okay, that's, I I see the humor in that. But then it like, it expands and it becomes like this Akira level, like blast. And I was just like, did all these yokai like, die and like is this the scene from the beginning of the movie where Tadashi has his dream and he sees the apocalypse and I was like no nah, that didn't happen and it shows the the buildings are all like falling down and shit and he's laying in the streets and I was just like is everyone dead and and then I was like wait but they they did, they did a team rocket blasting off again with the cap at the beginning like this is this is a really weird mishap like it did stand out to me when I was watching the film yeah, and it, it's like it, there, there's some aspect where you're like, well, if they can't see the kappa, yeah. does, does all that happen? Does anyone observe this? Like, is it observable? Like, is or are there just buildings that are destroyed? Like, I don't know. And 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 I don't, you know, th- this is something I'm not super familiar with, but I I got the idea. Like the 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 beans are filled with joy, so that screws up the 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 master plan basically but there's that funny part with his grandpa where he's kind of like i wonder why we're not getting attacked and it's like those beans somehow were also protective of anybody who was in that mm-hmm. domicile it seemed like those beans kept the yokai away almost like you know it'd be like sam and dean like putting you know salt around the fucking house or some <laughs> shit you know like it's like but in this case his grandpa was eating the adadashi beans or whatever that was that was keeping all the the frightening spirits away, basically. And I'm kind of like, I I get it, but I don't. I'm not familiar with the lore per se. I mean, it may be more in depth or detailed than that. You know what I want to see now? Like, I know this is its last season, but I want Sam and Dean to go to Japan and fight some yokai. That'd be sweet. That I mean, that would <laughs> uh, shit. That'd be different than uh, than uh, all this rigmarole that uh, I've seen lately. I don't know. I, I lost track of that show, but. Uh, I could see Dean hitting on uh, Kawahime. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dean would be all over that uh, motherly uh, uh, leg spread or whatever's going on there. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's, like I said, I don't want a hand job, but that'd be nice to just be in her uh, uh, leg leggy embrace. Again, you can send angry emails to Fanhill's podcast. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Attention, absolutely. Derek. Attention, Derek. 
I, you, you know, what's funny is she has, they, 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 in the making of, they, they document all the rap days for a lot of the main actors and everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when Augie finishes, they give her some flowers and all that kind of stuff. And so when, when Kawahime finishes, they, they give her some flowers and, and they give her the little mic so she can give a speech and all this other stuff. And, and it's funny because she says, when I first came, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this. I mean, it, you could tell even hmm. in her interview, she had a lot of reservations about being in a project like this period. And like, part of me wonders, like, like, you know, would she, you know, taking it back to like another conversation you and I had about Perfect Blue on Big in Japan, like, is is she like one of those kind of idol-like performers that conceivably is taken advantage of in that industry you know like like mm. like were there things that you know like 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 the moment where you know they they do the rape scene in in perfect blue and the actress is like oh i didn't want to do it but i felt i had to do it for the whole cast and crew like i started looking at her speech thinking oh like did she feel awkward about having a bunch of dudes in her lap but she did it anyway like you know like things like that where you're like i yeah. wonder i wonder like like you know, I, you know, I don't know enough about it. And then there's that weird notion, like, like, I, I, I know you mentioned her name and that's the name she currently goes by, but in, uh, in this film, it was under a different name and I couldn't find any, like, I, I don't um, know what the rationale is for the change exactly. Yeah. I, I see a lot of Japanese actors will sometimes change their name, but I don't know if it's because they, they joined a different talent agency or, or what it is. But I, I see on IMDb, like, you know, on Great Yokai War and the other film I mentioned, Strange Circus, she's listed as Seiko. And then it also says, like, you know, as my Takahashi. So I Yeah, yeah, think. and that's, that's what I noticed because I was like, oh, I wonder why she stopped going by my Takahashi. Is it because, like, there was a bunch of Rever magazines and she wanted to, like, be labeled as somebody else well, or I, I don't know like you know? like i said if you're curious and you think you can handle it check out strange circus it's <laughs> it's intense and very sexual so okay okay well there's there's that so yeah i mean i don't i don't know i don't, I don't know that i i mean like i said i i enjoy this movie a great deal i mean i it's one of these things where i feel like i could probably just keep talking and talking and talking about it but i don't know if if there's like I, I just want to give you the opportunity to to say everything that you want to say about it, but also kind of you know I, I figure if the conversation has uh, reached its apex too, we might we might roll on out of here. But I, I I don't know. Do you do you have any other topics that you want to bring up or or or, or kind of get into? I I think I'm good. Like okay. I will say I'm glad I watched this now and not like six years ago. I think I might have been. I think I'm. It might have been too steeped in yokai lore and stuff for me to like get a complete handle on some of the aspects. Like I think watching uh no Kitro really helped in the viewing of this. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned this. I'm glad you had us watch this because I, I I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was well made, I thought it was well acted and it was very enjoyable. So this is a good pick, Derek. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I got to expose you to something that uh, that you weren't familiar with. That is, I, you know, I think between the two of us, we agree it's it's a really, really good film. And if anybody out there listening hasn't seen this, 
Uh, I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't seen it, but you should you should go watch it. Like you should totally watch it. It's it's fun. It's cool. I I don't know how easy it is to watch. Like that's the only other thing. I mean, I have I have the Media Blasters DVD set, you know, and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know if you could find it now on platforms it's, or whatever. I watched it on YouTube, but it was like, you know how YouTube has its own like English subtitles sometimes. Oh, okay. Like, like it was. It was hard subbed in Italian, and then the YouTube English subs were over top of the Italian. Oh, so it was probably hard to read, huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, some scenes, but, you know, what? the only other option was that Putlocker link that crashed Mike's computer. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's – there. Uh, so like we said, we're not, not 100% sure on, on, uh, on the best means to do it. I mean, for all I know, this Media Blasters DVD set I have is like out of print. If you go on Amazon, it'll be like ninety dollars or something crazy, or who knows? Maybe it'll be pretty affordable. I, I have no idea. I mean, I I checked the usual haunts like any decks and non. I couldn't find it there. Okay, okay. I don't know like specific names or anything because I didn't really write it down or whatever. But when I was looking at the articles in Sci-Fi Japan, like there's there's a lot of yokai film series that you know I think even go back as far as maybe the '60s or something like that. But like apparently this is like a loose retelling of of one of those films, kind of like how you mentioned Gegege no Kitaro has its own great yokai war. Like there mm-hmm. there are previous films that deal with a great yokai war and and this film was probably Mm. based on one of those so you know who knows maybe i'll go back and start watching more classic yokai films you know watch some death kappa or whatever else there is out there you know like stuff like that but but yeah i mean i I, and and who knows maybe this film has colored my opinion like maybe they're all not you know super fantastic winners like this is but i mean this this was you know i feel like i was lucky enough that this was my first exposure that i got to watch a film like this theatrically and everything and and it'll always have a, a fond spot in my heart so that i can introduce you and hopefully anybody that's listening to this if if it, it entices you to to have checked it out you know just that we were discussing this uh, i'm i'm super pleased that i was able to do that for anybody if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, if you want to send angry, angry emails about Kawahime's leg spreads to attention Derek, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out the backlog of episodes of Toku Thursdays, you can you can go to fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find the backlog of Toku Thursdays episodes there. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And we appreciate all the likes hearts shares retweets and etc that we receive so until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc you broke my head shell signing off and this is justin cuddle me i'm cute cuckoo cool <laughs>
Oh, I did have another question. Yes. Um, it said that Lord Kato was the villain of another movie, and it was called like Tokyo: The Last Megalopolis. Have you seen that? No, I've not. Okay, it just like in the con- in a IMDb under connections, it says Lord Kato was also the villain of this film. I was like, that's weird, and I've never heard of that film either. I mean, I imagine Kato is is like the other yokai. Like, like it, it, I imagine it'd be like saying, like, oh, you know, the devil was also in this movie. You know, like kind of thing. You know? Well, I think it said it's also the same actor too. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Well, maybe maybe he's typecast. Like, what's her face? Always plays a, <laughs> a, a, a smooth, cold son of a bitch who stabs his girlfriend for kicks. You know? <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm glad I watched this. Cool, cool, good. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen this in almost 14 years. It seems like, but I, I mean, it definitely made an impact on me because it was always memorable. It was, it was, it was definitely the good one. It's not like, it's not like I'm gonna ask you to sit down and watch Gamera the fucking Brave with me, but I'm gonna ask you to watch this. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've watched Gamera the Brave. I don't, I don't know that I want to watch it again. Yeah, yeah, I. It wasn't, I, I, it wasn't, I I mean, it, it wasn't it, awful, but I don't no, know. No, I mean, there's nothing. It, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I just, I just remember all of those ones where I was like, "I'm gonna go watch a Gamera movie, like in the theater. <laughs> this is gonna be great." And then I watched those, I'm like, "Yeah, it was all right," you know. But I'm like, mm-hmm. "This other movie that was really good," you know. So, yeah. Did you Did you see how like I mean, it probably doesn't matter because it's gonna be part of the box set eventually. But did you see how like the uh, Ultraman like orb movies and stuff were being released just as singles in Walmart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. I saw yeah. that. Yeah, that's kinda cool. Oh, you know how like when you go to these Fathom events you say they're not very I don't know, they're sparsely attended. Yeah, yeah. Like when you watched Gamera and, you know, Great Yokai War, like how how oh, was the, the audience? The, yeah, the, the, those were those were full houses. I mean I mean oh, okay. this is the, this was a this how do I explain this? It was the Egyptian. It was well. It, it's a theater in L.A. and it was like the U.S. premiere of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like th- this was the first and all one of the first and only places where Godzilla: Final Wars would have ever been in a theater. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, so it was like it was the same thing with Gamera and all this other stuff. Like, it was the it was probably one of the only. I mean, I I could be wrong. It might have played in other cities or something like that. But I mean, as far as like in say, you know, the West Coast or something, it was the only place where the Great Yokai War played in the U.S. theater in that region at all. You know, so it's like all all those all those houses I remember were were fairly packed. I mean, they would show. Like a lot of um, what, what what was it that we went and saw a festival of um? Why am I blanking? Uh, what's what's the guy that makes Cthulhu shit? The writer. Oh, H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. They had like this like H.P. Lovecraft type like a Lovecraft film festival type thing where mm. it was like we watched like all these kind of Lovecraft related movies or movies that were based on his short stories and stuff like, like that. Like From Beyond or something? Yeah, like things like that. And then let me, there was this one here. I don't know. It's weird. I, I have like all these vague memories and I can't think of, let me see. Uh, 
and and I may be conflating things too because it might might have been like a filmmaker who made a bunch of things and some of them were Lovecraft related and some of them weren't. Um, mm. Why can't I think of that movie? Um, what was that movie? It was, I think that was a Lovecraft movie. It was like they they they. Hmm. Let's see, Lovecraft movies. Let's see. Maybe that'll help me. That was it. Dagon or Dagon. Like that was one of the movies that they showed at mm. the, the Egyptian. It's like they come to this like, um, like almost like, uh, what is it like? Like uh city on the and, and uh, here, let me see. Spanish horror film. Uh, directed by Stuart Gordon. Uh, plot is based on H.P. Lovecraft's novella *The Shadow Over Innsmouth*, rather than his earlier short story *Dagon*. Um, stock market tycoon Paul Marsh has a dream that he discovers a mermaid with razor sharp teeth. While scuba diving in a cavern pit, he awakes on a boat off the shores of Spain, where he's vacationing with his girlfriend and their friends. A sudden storm blows their boat. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, they, they, it, 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 there was that, and then um, there was this other, I don't know, there's this other really weird one. Um, I don't think it was based on H.P. Lovecraft, but it was part, oh, maybe it was, Castle Freak. That was the other one. I think I think it was Dagon, Dagon and Castle Freak were in a double feature or whatever. And, mm. like, just all, like, I don't know, I just, like, a lot of those things, I just, I'm not saying those are, like, fantastic movies or anything, but, I mean, it was just... I don't know. There's just something about that era of of me going to watch movies where it's like, this is great. Like, you didn't normally, like, I mean, at best, you would have seen it in some obscure home video thing at Laser Blazer if you even did that. You know what I mean? And yet you got to go to these festivals and see them, like, in a theater or whatever. And, and, and those were typically, like, you know packed houses like you know like when 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 they made the gamera joke like everybody in the theater was like <laughs> you know like like and it wasn't just like this kind of one-off thing where you were the only dude laughing at the gamera joke because everybody there like you know was there to see gamera so surprise motherfucker kato knocks the two down as azukikar uh Azukakarai, the bean counter, awkward, awkward. Unfazed, Kato knocks the two down as Azokula. God damn it. Unfazed, Kato knocks the two down as Azokula. Unfazed, Kato knocks the two down as Azokula. Azukikarai, the bean counter, awkwardly arrives. I give up. 